Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show. This is Paradox and I'm Josh. I am Jimmy and are you gonna love today? Yeah, we are happy to have Tommy Green on the show. Tommy, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Tommy is the lead singer of Sleeping Giant. Tell us about your band. Well, it's a a Christian hardcore or Christian metal band from, uh, we initially started in Southern California and we're just some friends that were playing music and, um, they, yeah, anyways, we've been together for coming up on, uh, 12 or 13 years at this point. And, wow. um, we, I, we were all in different bands and, uh, I live in Salt Lake city, Utah, and I moved to, I moved to California from there when I was probably 21 or 22. And, uh, then uh, was out there for five or six years, and that's kind of where I became a um, a Christian, and actually ended up starting a church uh, for people mm-hmm. like me there. And so I was just leading a group, and we were playing music and putting on shows at our church. And some friends said, "Hey, you haven't sang in a band for a while." And so I said, "Yeah, that'd be cool, but I'm only going to talk about Jesus because it's all I care about." And they said, "That's mm-hmm. fine." And so we started that's a band, fun. and all of a sudden there was just like favor on it, and uh, that was. <laughs> A long time ago. So um, we've been rolling kind of ever since. Now, how did you get in Salt Lake? Because when I think hardcore music, Salt Lake City is not exactly what comes to mind. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, Salt Lake City is is a unique place for sure. Um, And I will say that it's always been a place of real crazy extremes. Like there's been a real conservative culture and then a a super strong underground uh, and subculture Mm -hmm. community. Um, It's always been here. because I think it's like most people would agree that like religion breeds rebellion. <laughs> so anyways, um, so it's a crazy kind of spot, but, uh, I, so I, I was in California and I, I'd gotten married really young when I was uh, out here in Salt Lake city and my, um, wife, uh, at the time. And I had uh, our little daughter who was one, one and a half. And we moved to Redlands, um, uh, in 2002, and then by 2003, we had actually separated. We'd been together for three or four years at that point and went through a real bad divorce. It was a real bummer. And um, that was kind of when I met the Lord in a big way, a real kind of crisis time for me. And um, he was amazing. And so I, I was out there and in that process sort of was given a new life. It was really rad and kind of was just a dad and was leading a church group for kids that hated church or came from the hardcore scene or were just, you know, pissed off or lonely or whatever. And, um, it was just kind of growing. And, uh, a couple years into that, um, had just actually started dating my, my wife, Chrissy, who I've, I've been married to now for coming up on 12 years, but we were just dating. And then my ex showed up and said to me one day, um, I'm moving back to Utah and I'm taking Marin. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, and went to, went to court and they were like, yep. So <clears throat> she moved with my daughter back here mm. and um, 
I, I didn't really know what to do. I was just leading a church at the time and, and was only really good at being rescued and bragging about him. And at that point was just like, had no clue what to do. And so I came out to visit her a couple of weeks after she'd moved out here in um, downtown Salt Lake City. There's a really big Wells Fargo building downtown. And I, I was driving around at night kind of praying, just like, what do I do? Because um, it's like unacceptable to me to not be a part of my kid's life. But I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And saw the building and went, maybe I could get a job with like a bank. And then I could like transfer. <laughs> and so I, I went back to California and um, was at a conference, a church conference a few weeks later. And a friend of mine showed up in a suit and he was... Uh, a Marine that was kind of like tatted down. I'd like never seen him in a suit before. And I was like, did you come from a funeral? And he said, no, I'm a service manager at Wells Fargo bank. Do you need a job? <laughs> and I was uh, like, yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> I do. So I started as a teller in California while I was leading the church and uh, found out, you know, I needed to get into being a banker or manager or something like that in order to kind of like make enough to transfer and then got promoted and um, transferred to, to Utah. Um, I, I, in the midst of that process, I, I pr- proposed to Chrissy and she said yes. And, and, uh, we got married and, and then I got promoted and, um, told them I had to go. And so that was the vehicle that got me out here. So I've been in Utah now, uh, for coming up on 11 years. I came out here, I came out here to be a dad. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we've been doing. We got out here, she was in first grade and she's just about to graduate from high school. Um, so it's, everything about this has kind of been full circle for me. Mm -hmm. Um, sleeping giants, very first show was my bachelor party show, Uh, (laughs) February 17th of 2006. And then our final show ever will be February 17th, 2018. So 12 years to the date of our first show. So, um, it really feels like everything about this has kind of come full circle. And, and that's part of why we feel like it's like, that's part of why it's been the part of the vision that I've had of like, how do I bring this in for a landing and finish well? Um, because I think I'm, I'm done. I was about to say, what, what makes you think it's, it's over? Um, just if I, because there was times where I felt like it should have been over, but it just mm-hmm. wasn't. And then in those moments um, going like, why am I not done yet? And then not realizing it until uh, probably about a year ago um, when I realized that, like, my daughter, my daughter wrote me a letter on my birthday last year and basically just said, if you hadn't have been here, I wouldn't be in relationship with Jesus. I, I don't know if in her little teen years if she would have felt like she had some of the same support, you know, that, that only comes when, when you you know, you have a mom and a dad, I think, for her. You know, it was like she was with her mom a lot. Um, but she basically was just saying like, if you, it, there was just times where she was really kind of on her own, even in her head or her heart. And she was like, I wouldn't have had kind of a safe place to go if you guys hadn't have been here at different times. And so it was as if she was like ringing the bell on this really long fight that I feel like I've been in for her and for her future. Um, and it was as if she was saying like, you did it like good job. And right. it, it really like signaled to me, like the, the end of a pretty epic season in my life. Right. And so I went, wow, like I didn't realize it. And then I thought, holy cow, like this band, in my own selfish viewpoint, okay, this isn't anybody else in the band's story because it, it just wouldn't be, you know. Um, I couldn't have sang if it wasn't for them. I wouldn't have been a part of this if it wasn't for them. And we wouldn't have been a full band if it wasn't for the other dudes in the band. But sure. in my perspective, I've been sharing my life now pretty open-hearted for the past, you know, coming up on 12 years. And this has been kind of like the public journal of like everything I've gone through. In a lot of ways, we, we put out the first record in California and then um, 
knowing that Marin had moved and I was trying to get out here. And then when we moved, the band just kept growing and the dudes were like, I guess like fly out. We'll just do shows when you can, but like, let's not kill the band. Cause it seems like it's, it's good. And so mm-hmm. I would be a bank manager and then go back there and play a show and then come <laughs> back and be bank guy and then go back and do a show. And it was wild. Um, and so the very first record had songs about Marin leaving and kind of what a, what a brutal time that was for me. Mm-hmm. And now to come after and be here and, and be able to show up for her and be a, be a dad and hopefully be a good one and um, help her kind of figure out where she's at and where she's going and then get to the end of it. I felt like oh, it's been kind of like my, the band has been a gift between God and me um, for me to put out, to share my life and to, just to mm-hmm. be honest about it. And I don't know where I would be if I didn't have that vehicle for expression. A lot of people, you know, when they think, you know, hardcore Christian music, you know, they think, oh, mercy me. Uh, and <laughs> y'all kind of, y'all are kind of a step beyond that. But you also, I was watching an interview that you had on YouTube and you said, you know, that you play for kids that no one cares about. Tell us about the voice that you have with Christian hardcore music and to the kids that you sing it to. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, one thing you need to understand is that the Christian hardcore scene is like a subgenre within a subculture that's been a part of American history for 40 plus years. The American hardcore scene started in the late 70s and early 80s, and uh, it was for the throwaway kids mm-hmm. um, in, in rough cities that were deeply angry and affected um, by the circumstances that surrounded them. And this was, they, they were more angry than a lot of traditional punk rockers and they weren't mm-hmm. um, as metal or, or, you know, rock and roll as what was traditionally popular. And so this unique blend of music kind of developed. And so the hardcore scene has always been a place that I think gives a voice to the pain of throwaway people. And, and the reality of the situation is that the Christian hardcore scene in a lot of ways, uh, wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for kids with enough freedom of heart to just go, I, we, we're going to, we're going to play this music and we don't care mm-hmm. um, because the church wouldn't have accepted it. You know what I mean? Like it, the, the, the sound of that and the pain of that had to find a voice somewhere. And so the hardcore scene is um, it's a unique version of, of music that is uniquely punk rock. It's, it's uniquely American. And um, so the Christian hardcore scene exists because the hardcore scene exists. So understand that first, that we were hardcore kids that grew up in that scene. Um, We were too angry to be just punk rock and and we weren't, we weren't part of the hip hop scene. We weren't um, metalhead kids that were listening to just metal. Like there, it's a unique kind of blend of subculture. And so within that, that music, that aggression and that style, I think uniquely reaches out to um, specifically young men, like men that are hurting and young men that need a voice for some of the aggression or the energy that they feel. And so within the church context, I think that we were designed to fill that Davidic style of warrior sound within the heart of God's people. So Mm -hmm. anyways, um, yeah, so like for, for us, like that's, We've, I feel like I've been playing to, for, for a while, I've, I've just been a part of the hardcore scene since I was like 15 years old. And um, so 20, like 22 years, um, I've been a part of this culture. And then when I got saved, I just didn't leave. 
Um, and there's been Christian hardcore bands that have been around since the, the, the inception of it all. I mean, you'll find threads and seeds of God and his presence, you know, in every culture kind of. <laughs> and so there's been Christian hardcore bands for a long time. And so we just get to uniquely fill our space for right now. Um, but we're reaching out to, in my opinion, you know, uh, we reach out to the generation that the church traditionally loses. Now, are you thinking with, you know, with the band coming to an end, maybe there might be a duet album between you and Amy Grant soon? <laughs> I'm hoping because I feel like um, it's been crazy. I've been trying to get her to, like, agree to it. The last <laughs> She's holding out. I've been trying to work with her and Michael W. Smith just to really... Yes, yeah. and PCD. That's what I'm talking about. It's called Heart, Heart in Motion Part 2. <laughs> Honestly, that's it. So we, we just reach out to the kids that are too pissed off to stay in Ukraine. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of them. But they're the next generation of, of leaders, and they've got something real happening in their life. And um, it just it needs a place. So that's that's who we reach out to is kids that have gravitated towards that. And the reason they've gravitated towards it is for a reason. And so we just want to be there. You describe yourself, you know, obviously as part of the hardcore movement, those that movement being, you know, revolving around the throwaway kids. At some level, you have to identify with being a throwaway kid as a as a as a young person. Not saved then until an adult. Kind of describe for me the your your salvation experience, going from feeling like a throwaway kid to then finding Jesus as an adult. I just was in the hardcore scene and uh, was was a kid that was you know passionate about music and uh, came from a split family where I had a kind of Southern Baptist um, religious uh, mom and stepdad that were super awesome, um, but you know kind of product of the seventies and eighties kind of church dialogue, which just didn't work for me at all. And uh, then the other half of my family, my dad and my stepmom are just kind of uh, traditional, like Irish Catholic. Well, I don't know if that's traditional. Sorry, we never went to, they never went to church. Like they just didn't go to church. Anyway, so I had like Catholic family that like really, I don't know what that meant. And then I had this Christian family and I I couldn't relate. And so uh, I would spend my summers with my dad and my stepmom and my two little brothers. And then I would come back and, you know, the school year with my mom and my stepdad and um, kind of go back and forth. And so uh, I, I ran away a bunch um, uh, as I got older and ended up moving out of my house um, when I was a junior in high school. And then uh, finished my senior year. And uh, right around the time that I graduated from high school, I ended up in a, in a really interesting um, set of circumstances. Uh, and it, it really kind of fractured or broke like my timeline at that point, I, I ended up um, in an affair with a, a woman that was essentially married to someone else. And uh, within a couple weeks of that happening, um, her partner committed suicide. <laughs> and so um, I was 18. And in his, in his letter, he, he asked me to stick around and take care of her. Mm. And so um, I was never able to tell him the truth. I wasn't able to come clean. And, and so in my worldview at that time, as basically like a secular humanist, you know, I, I just was like, the only way for me to balance the scales on this is like, I should probably die. Um, because he, he, I took the last thing that was maybe keeping him alive. Like I, I felt uniquely responsible for uh, what he had gone through in that. Um, and, and was such a, I felt like such a piece of absolute garbage that at that point it was like, I've been living in that world feeling very much on my own. 
Um, but then to make a decision like that, knowing that it was a, a horrible one, <laughs> like knowing how bad it was and then having the consequences of it be irreparable, in my opinion, um, I had made a decision that I could not take back and it had resulted in massive damage for someone else and, and I couldn't make it right. And so it, it left me in this real interesting spot. So I literally was just like at the, at the door of suicide and, and felt interrupted by, I don't know what, but it was essentially like, a, you don't know, you don't know me and what you think, you know, is wrong. Um, it was like the voice of hope or the voice of God or something just saying like, don't give up in essence, like you don't know what you think, you know? Um, and so I, I was, you know, I, I stayed alive <clears throat> and, uh, it was wild. And so then within a, a little while of that happening, um, some of the friends that I'd made in the hardcore scene were from Southern California and they, uh, I went out to visit them and, and a friend of mine prayed for me to get saved. And I was like really sad and crying sorrowful and it just didn't really matter when i got back to utah i was like nah, i don't i don't know if i believe this stuff because mm. i had a lot of deep theological questions um and I, I was not in a culture to get the questions answered and mm. so i i had this sort of conversion prayer moment in 1999 but i was living with my partner at that time and we got pregnant and you know we had our daughter and we had like a life together that was kind of funny it, it was you know, it was just like a life together. And then um, when we moved to California right after we got married. We got married at St. Pat's of 2002 and then moved to California. And within a handful of months, I think there was so much pressure and just so much challenge and transition and crazy stuff going on uh, that my wife kind of just fell in love with a friend of mine. And um, when she left, I, I just remember feeling like, oh, no, like I, I gave up. I gave up everything I could for you and it, sure. it can't, it couldn't keep you like, why don't, why can't you pick me again? Kind of thing. Um, and I, 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 I discovered Jesus in, in a season where I was a bridegroom that had lost his bride and mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't get her to change her mind. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't force her to love me again. And so the, the conflict of this great theology that says, how does God convince humans that hate him to fall in love with him he can't manipulate he can't force them how does he do this um and so i discovered the love of god uh trying to win my marriage back and ultimately that failed that didn't work um but i discovered i was discovered i was found you found something so much greater than your marriage yeah yep. yeah yeah so that was it man and i did it publicly it all happened in front of all my friends so all my Christian friends are like, I don't know how you're being cool. Cause I just resolved it. I was going right. to love her until she loved me back. And even if she mm. loved my friend, I wasn't going to hurt anything that she loved. I was going to do my best to love him too, because mm. ultimately I just wanted her to change her mind and then all could be forgiven. Like I just understood like love would just forgive. Like it wouldn't matter. Like just, just look at me again, like kind of thing. And, and so I just resolved in my heart, because I felt like in that moment, like, all right, Jesus, we'll see if what you say is real. You said, love your enemies. Sure. Let's see if this love thing works. And so in that process, all my Christian friends were like, what the heck are you doing? Like, how are you loving them? Like, this is garbage. Like this dude yep. sucks and she sucks. And she's like ruining everything. Um, 
and I just resolved to, I was, it was the grace of God on some level. And so as that was happening publicly, it was like, he was just giving me, I became an example of it, but I wasn't even really saved. I, just, I, I, I didn't even know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then on the heels of all of that, he made kind of like a way for me because then when I really, when I really turned to him in that season, I was serious and it just like sure. kicked off and I went, I did, I, he became real. And that's the best way I could say it. I, I literally confessed to him. I, I didn't know that you were real. Mm. Like I didn't know that you were real. I thought you were an idea. I thought you were like a concept and I thought you were control. I had no idea. You were like a real person with like, I didn't know. And so I was yeah. like, can I tell people? <laughs> I was like, I didn't know. I didn't know this was real. Like, I, I'm so sorry. Like, and so he, he told me I could tell people. And so I started telling people. And how many years after that did Sleeping Giants or Sleeping Giant when when was it birthed? How many years after that? Four. And then you've been you know spreading the good news of Christ and His salvation to tens of thousands of people, probably hundreds of thousands of people at some level. Man, Tommy, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Where can people find your music? If you just look up Sleeping Giant on Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube or Facebook or whatever, it's just yeah. out there. Good. Sleeping Giant, that's us. So, Hey, Tommy, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, so it's facebook.com uh, backslash Sleeping Giant. He also has a, a ministry for church leaders. It's called The Rev Gathering, R-E-V, therevgathering.com. We didn't have a chance to go over that in this episode. No. There was so much uh, I wanted to ask him. I know. <laughs> we need to do a part two mm-hmm. of Tommy Green. But therevgathering.com. I remember when we did um, Erwin McManus. He made the comment, you know, that that Mosaic is not a uh, seeker-sensitive church uh, there in, in Los Angeles. Of course, he said, well, I mean, it is, because what church is not seeker-sensitive? What church would not be sensitive to people who are seeking? And I remember thinking, you know, just how true those words were and how sort of convicting that those words were. And when Tommy said, you know, we were playing music for kids that no one cared about, and how sad that is, because there is a subculture of kids that no one cares about. And we're part of the no one that doesn't care about them. That, you know, our, our love and our concern and our focus and our ministry tends to be with kids, with people that are in some ways easy to love, not those that are very difficult, like the ones that Sleeping Giant sort of ministers to. And one other thing really quickly, and I didn't get to ask him, because, you know, they're in this hardcore music scene, just the music scene in general, touring, groupies, concerts, drugs, alcohol, everything that goes with the music industry, much less the hardcore music industry. They're like skating on the edge of the abyss on sort of a daily basis. And I was reminded of Nietzsche, you know, when he said, be careful if you look into the abyss because the, the abyss looks back. And he's been able, He was, we saw a, a YouTube video from Triple X Church about how they hold each other accountable for not viewing pornography. And they really fight hard to keep personal faith integrity within the band, even in the midst of what most of us would find just a mind-numbingly aggressive secular culture. I loved his religion breeds rebellion. Yeah. I loved his, the only thing I'm good at is being rescued. 
<laughs> and then bragging about who rescued me. Yeah. That was really good. And the idea of just the throwaway kids yeah. uh, were the three things that I'm taking away. Good stuff. I just texted him to say we need a round two. <laughs> so we promised that Tommy will be back. There was a lot that we couldn't get to. Yeah. I mean, digging into, uh, you know, making a second marriage work, mm-hmm. you know, even healing. You know, I know that the Lord worked in his heart and life and saved him in that moment, but how did he get over those emotions of his first wife kind of just walking away with him? with one of his friends, by the way. And there's just so many emotional, kind of psychological things that I wanted to get to. Yep. Uh, So we'll definitely have him back. If you want more information about this episode and any links to the things we talked about, to include links to Tommy's band, it is paradoxpodcast.com. You can also follow the show and as well as us individually, and you can find that information, our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook information at paradoxpodcast.com as well. And Josh and I have a Christian hardcore recording of Jesus Loves Me mm-hmm. uh, in sort of a screamo. And you'll get a free yeah, download. Download of that. So if you don't just miss it. simply go mm-hmm. to Paradox Podcast. Mm-hmm. Guys, thanks so much. Been a blast. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to ParadoxPodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. That's Josh on the other side it's of the It's a day table. after Valentine's Day. It is. So we're going to talk homosexuality. <laughs> um, there, this may, and we have a lot of people that bring kids in. For Christian parents, this, for many Christian parents, this ranks among like your worst nightmare. Your child comes in and they say, hey, mom and dad, I hate to break it to you, but I'm gay. And all the blood drains, drains out of a parent's head.